0: This will be part number 19. And we're going to look at, Lord willing, verses 19 through 47. Now, that's a lot. You're already worried. We won't be two hours. We won't be. Uh, a lot of it's going to be uh, verses together. But uh, before we read, I'm going to read verse 19 and pray and then get into it. But before we do, I just want to remind you in our last study where we left off in verse 18, uh, we had looked at the first part of Stephen's uh, defense. The defense of, uh, he was defending himself against blasphemy uh, for several things. They accused him of blasphemy against Moses and the temple and and, uh, the law and all this stuff. And so he's using this, we call it a sermon, which it is. He's using this to defend himself, but he's also defending the gospel and pointing these people toward the Messiah, which they rejected. And so he goes back into the Old Testament text, which was their current Bible, because they didn't have the New Testament. But they knew the Scripture back and forth, and so they understood everything he was saying, and that's where he takes them, the beginning of when the Hebrews began. And of course we know the Hebrews, eventually they were mostly called Jews afterwards. Uh, some of them were called the children of Israel and, and uh, Jews later on. But uh, he was making a case for this, and he's identifying himself also with them to keep their attention. And so he, he's building this case. It's a very well-crafted Sermon or defense. And so the last thing we read last week was the end of the life of Joseph. And the Bible said another king arose which knew not Joseph. And so we pick up there in verse 19 tonight. We're have to read that and then we'll pray. Verse 19, Acts chapter 7. The Bible says the same dealt subtly with our kindred and evil entreated our fathers so that they cast out their young children to the end they might not live. Father, thank you for the reading of your word tonight. Help us now as we try to preach, God, may you be glorified. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and amen. Well, Stephen continues on with the history of the Hebrew people and what happened to them after a new king came, or he's also referred to as a pharaoh, because the kings of Egypt were referred to as pharaohs, and uh, this king knew not Joseph. And so that means this king had had no dealings with Joseph or the Hebrew people or anything like that. And so he was treating the Hebrews as an enemy, a foreign people, uh, people that didn't belong in Egypt. And so we know what he did. He forced them to work. All those pyramids that you see, I've never been to Egypt, but I've I've watched things about it on uh, television, internet, in books. And you see those wonderful pyramids they have out there. And people say, how in the world did well, they build them? Well, they built them on all the backs of the Hebrews, a lot of those. And so the, uh, their taskmasters were the ones that was forcing them to, to work. They have to carry that mud uh, to make bricks and straw and uh, combine it all together and make these huge stones uh, to build pyramids and, and things for Egypt. And so that's what the Hebrew people ended up being, was slaves there in Egypt uh, because this king had... Had no knowledge of them, didn't care, and all he saw them as was an end to a means of getting work done. Mm-hmm. And not only that, it said they cast out their young children to the end they might not live. That don't mean the Hebrews threw their kids out. That means that Pharaoh ordered those children to be killed. Uh, he, as we all know, uh, Exodus one and twenty two. Pharaoh charged all his people saying, every son that is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. And so they were trying to kill off all the Hebrew male children. They didn't want that race to continue to wipe wipe out that race of people. But they only saved the daughters out of that. And so uh, that's what it means they cast out their young children to the end that they may not live. And so this was demeaning those people. This was taking away all their their hope and, and joy. And you can only imagine how Awful it must have been for those people. I mean, here they are uh, being forced into slavery. Their children are being taken from them and killed, murdered. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, all, all they are are simply slaves. What an awful thing. Mm-hmm. And to think that these are who God's people are. These are the ones God's separated and called out. So it must have been very devastating. Verse 20 of our text, back in the ex, uh, Acts chapter 7. In which time Moses was born and was exceeding fair and nourished up in his <coughs> father's house three months. And we all know the story of, of what happened to Moses. He was born in that time that Pharaoh was killing off all the male children. And, of course, he was saved. But in the bulrushes, uh, in the little ark they built with the pitch on the outside so to keep him safe. And Pharaoh's daughter came and, and found him and took him. And we all know the rest of the story. But uh, So Stephen here brings up Moses. And you better bet their ears perked up because anytime you mention Moses or Abraham, those were the two biggies, and then David, uh, those three, but certainly Abraham and Moses uh, would perk up their ears and get their hearts filled with pride. They were very proud to be descendants of Moses. And you can get a picture of that over the Gospel of John uh, after Jesus had healed a man He'd been blind since birth, and he was healed, the Pharisees became very upset with him uh, because the healing had been done on a Sabbath day. And so they start questioning the blind man. Listen to what they say, John 9 and 26. Then said they to him again, What did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not hear. Wherefore would you hear it again? Will you also be his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' We know that God spake to Moses, as for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. So you see their attitude there. Mm-hmm. Jesus meant nothing to them, but Moses was everything. We be disciples of Moses. Yeah. And so they are accusing Jesus of, of course, breaking the laws of Moses, but Stephen uh, of wanting to do that way of laws as well. Uh, And so the Pharisees were accusing Jesus of breaking Moses' laws by working on the Sabbath because that was one of the laws that we know was written down. And uh, they kept the laws of Moses because they knew that God spake to Moses. As for this other fellow, we don't know. All right, back in verse uh, 21, Acts 7. And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and was mighty in words and in deeds. And so he's continuing on with the life of Moses and how he was protected. He lived in Pharaoh's palace and became a mighty man in the land of Egypt. Some say that he eventually became a captain of the army there in Egypt. The Bible doesn't tell us that, but it's probably a good um, uh, probably probably did is what happened. But he came a mighty man, the Bible says, in the land of Egypt. Now, if you notice up there at the beginning in verse 20, the Bible said he was exceeding fair and nourished up in his father's house three months So Moses, we, you know, a lot of times when we get middle pictures of what people look like in the Bible, we refer back to what we've seen, maybe on television or a movie. And so, immediately when you think of Moses, you think like this white haired man holding this, this staff, you know, and everything, or it has got like, a man, keep on down here. And so you imagine this wild-looking guy with this long-flowing white hair. Well, the Bible says he was exceeding like, fair. That means he was very handsome. He was very good-looking. He was well-built. And no doubt uh, every woman there would have loved to have him for her husband. And so uh, remember certain things about people. Pay attention to the Bible when it tells us little things like that because it's important. Uh, you kind of get an idea of what maybe their life was like. Uh, because if the Bible said he was a very ugly man that looked like a troll, then, you know, you would think, well, <laughs> you yeah. know. But uh, I, I like to pull, pull things like that out. Just to, uh, that was free. And so look at verse 23. And when he was fully 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children to visit, And seeing one of them suffer on, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and spoke the Egyptians. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them. But they understood not. Now, we get to a very important part of Scripture which has caused a lot of problems for a lot of people. Uh, You may have seen the little meme that goes around, you know, what is it, David was an adulterer, uh, Moses was a murderer, and it goes on and on and on, talking about all these people that did all these bad things. And so they uh, automatically assume Moses was a murderer because he had killed the Egyptian. Well, we're going to look and see what the Bible actually says about that. Uh, but here we find that Moses' his eyes had been opened to the truth of his own people. Now, no doubt his mother, said so she was able to be there at the palace and raise him uh, when he was young, four Pharaoh's daughters, his own mother got to do that. So they even paid her to do it. No doubt she told him all about his lineage and his people, the Hebrew people. And it it just at forty years old, I guess it just then maybe maybe it just dawned on him, or it all came together full circle for him when he his eyes actually opened and looked and saw the oppression of his people, and his heart went out to him because he was one of them. He is one of them, <laughs> and so the truth of his own people in the <coughs> Egyptians, and uh, and so he's torn between loyalty to to Egypt and to uh, Pharaoh's uh, palace and Pharaoh's rule. And the Bible says he's a mighty man in the land of Egypt, so you know he's got a, a high position in the court or something. Uh, or in the army, maybe he's the captain of the army. Whatever it is, he has loyalty to Egypt, but yet his heart is with his people, the Hebrew people. And so he's torn between that we see, though, in the end that blood is thicker than water, and he avenges his people. If you want to look at it, you don't have to. I'll read it but in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. It says that it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens, and he spied an Egyptian, smiting an Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way and that way, and when he saw that there were, was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. All right, so the act of Moses killing this Egyptian, like I said, is troubling for a lot of people. There's really two schools of thought on the subject. The first one is that Moses was justified by doing this. He acted on divine calling of God uh, and, and judgment from God to avenge his people by slaying the enemy. That's, that's one way of viewing it. The other, other popular view is that Moses acted out on his own and in a crime of passion slew the Egyptian and then tried to hide the evidence and so he's a murderer. Those are the two main thoughts on, on what happened. I'm a firm believer in the first school of thought. Moses was under the divine leadership of God when he did this. God was using Moses to be the deliverer of Israel. And we just read in the New Testament, which is a commentary on the Old Testament, by the way, the best commentary, Pastor Sexton often said this, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And so pay attention when the New Testament speaking of things that happened in the Old Testament, it's a commentary. And it said in verse 25 of our opening text, for he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. And so Moses knew that he was a deliverer of God's people, and he assumed that... The Hebrew people would understand that and would see what he's doing is trying to deliver them and to stand up for them. But but they didn't understand it. They were not ready for it. They didn't didn't understand what he was doing. They didn't look at it through spiritual eyes or or the way God would look at it. And so God was uh, poised, or Moses was poised to lead the children of uh, Israel out of Egypt's bondage, but the people rejected him. And so he was justified in slaying this Egyptian because the Bible tells us the Egyptian was smiting an Hebrew, which means striking in a manner to kill, is what that means. And so God has commissioned Moses to lead his people, but because of their rejection of him, they suffered, they had to suffer another 40 years. And then because of their disbelief, they suffered another 40 years out in the wilderness. So 80 years went by when they could have been let out right then at that moment when Moses was there to lead them out and they, they rejected him. If you didn't know it now, Moses is a type of Christ. Look at what Moses did. Moses was sent to deliver his people. He came to them to do that and what they did, they rejected him. Mm-hmm. Jesus, he was sent here to deliver his people and they could if have had accepted him. They could have set up an earthly kingdom right then. They didn't. They rejected him. He came into his own And his own received him not. Mm -hmm. Same thing they did to Moses. And so we see Moses' life parallels the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's a type of Christ. And so uh, Moses was not what we would consider a murderer. Now, some people say, well, why did he look this way and that and hide the body? It seems kind of sketchy, doesn't it? He did that because he knew when it was found out that his life was in danger. That when Pharaoh found out... He would he would have him killed. And that's exactly what happened when Pharaoh did finally. Mm-hmm. And so Moses knew that. And so uh, instead of causing all of that strife and everything, he you know he tried to hide the body. And uh, anyway, we'll get to more of that here in just a minute. Let's, let's pick back up there in verse 26. Acts 7 and 26. And the next day he showed himself unto them as they strove and would have sent them at one again, saying, Sirs, your brethren, why do you wrong one to another? But he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Would thou kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? <laughs> and so Moses makes another attempt to come and help his people again. He sees strife going on with them. So he wants to help settle this dispute and say, Look, look, brothers, we've got to get along. We're all in this together. You know, Don't be against each other. What's going on? And they reject him again. What it is, none of your business is what they're saying. It is none of your business. You get out of here. So we don't want anything. What are you going to do? Kill us two? Bury us in the same like you did that guy yesterday? Now that was probably shocking <laughs> to Moses to hear because he thought that no one knew. Really. Mm-hmm. Um, so they rejected his counsel. And uh, verse 29 Then fled Moses at this saying and was estranged in the land of Midian where he begat two sons. And so uh, Moses knew as soon as this news got out, if this man knew it, other people knew it, you know this guy's gonna run his mouth, tell everybody he can, especially after Moses tried to intervene on his on his little wrestling match there. And so uh Moses knows favor is gonna come for his head, and so he flees. He runs. And so, verse twenty-nine, then fled Moses at this same as a stranger land of Midian where he begat two sons. The long narrative of the life of Moses is holding the attention here of these this council. Stephen is building this defense. And so he's telling them all about how Moses fled from Egypt. And he learned that uh, the killing of the Egyptian was not a secret and all this. And uh, he would have to flee because when Pharaoh found out he'd be in great trouble. And like I said, the Bible tells us, Exodus 2.15, now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelled on the land of Gideon, and he sat down by a well. And so, uh, what Stephen is doing here, and it, it, sometimes it's, it's hard to, to see it this way, what he's doing, he's showing these, this council, this Jewish council, that they are exactly like the Jews before them, the Hebrews before them. They too are rejecting the one who has come to deliver them. To and that's what he's trying to prove to them. He's just going a long way around and about to do it so that. It's fresh in your mind. Look at verse 30. And when 40 years was expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he wondered the sight, as he drew near to behold it. The voice of the Lord came unto him, saying, I am the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses trembled and durst not, uh, and durst not behold, then said the Lord to him, Put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place where thou standest is holy ground. I have seen, and I have seen the affliction of my people, which is in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning, and have come down to deliver them, and now come I will send thee into Egypt. And so Stephen is uh, he's telling of the calling of Moses by God. Now, obviously, Moses had went through the refining process that was necessary to lead these uh, the children of Israel out of Eden's bondage. Uh there in that 40 more years have went by as he's being refined. And uh, we read back in Exodus that during that time that Moses was going to Egypt, a lot had happened to God's people. And uh, the reason that God put Moses back into play, Exodus 2, 23 through 25 tells us. And it came to pass in process of time, the process of time while Moses was out of Egypt, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage, and they cried, and their cry came up, God, and God delivered His covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. So God beats Moses on the side of, of the Sinai there on the mountain there, and it appears to him in a flame in a burning bush. Now the bush didn't burn; it didn't consume, but there was a flame. It looked like it should be burning and, and uh, being destroyed, but again, it a flame going through that uh, that bush. And uh, so God meets you there for that next second calling. It's time to go back, Moses. It's time to go back. First time they reject you. Second time you're going to go back. They're going to, they're going to have to listen. Uh, things are bad. And so, uh, verse uh, 35. This Moses, whom they refused, saying, Who may be a ruler and a judge? The same God is sinned to be a ruler and a deliverer. By the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. He brought him out. After that, he showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness for years. Again, Stephen just going down Moses' life and everything that transpired during that time. And uh, so we get a little insight in these verses about how Moses was chosen by God to be the leader of his people. Now, back when he was 40 years old and the people rejected him as ruler. But now, at 80 years old, God sending him out. Here's an 80-year-old man. Most people at 80 years old is won't retire, right? Sit around the fire for a while. Uh, whatever. Drink coffee. That's what I want to do. But uh, at 80 years old, he sent him out to be a ruler and a deliverer of his people. I think that's further proof that God intended all along for Moses to lead the children of Israel. But the people were just not ready. And perhaps Moses needs more refining as well. Verse 37. This is that Moses which said unto the of Israel, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me, him shall you hear. Now he's getting very, very close to, this is going to explode after this. I mean, it's not going to be long after this. He's pointing in toward Jesus, the Messiah, and he reminds them, this is the same Moses, remember, that told the people that God's going to send another one, a Messiah. And he's going to be like unto Moses. So there we see the type, the Christ type, right there, yep. how they parallel each other. And so Moses said, God's going to send another like unto me uh, to be the, the, the deliverer. Uh, prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you, and your brother like unto me, he shall ye here. And so we find that, that whole passage back in Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 18, where the Bible says, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him you shall hearken, according to all that thou desirest, the Lord thy God, and for in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord thy God, neither let me see this great fire any more, that I die not. And the Lord said to me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth. And He shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And so the mention of the Messiah is one more step at pointing them toward Jesus as the one that was prophesied by Moses. And that's certainly what this is. This is a messianic uh, prophecy that was given in the Old Testament. And so it's an essential key in Stephen's defense, by the way, of the gospel and the establishment of the New Testament church, which we talked about Sunday, the, the purpose and mission of the church. And so all of this has led to to Jesus and the church. All right, verses 38 through 41. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in in Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us, to whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them, and in their hearts turned back again into Egypt, saying unto Aaron, make us gods to go before us, for as, for this Moses which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we walk not what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered sacrifice unto the idol and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. And so Stephen is now giving examples of the unbelief and the disobedience of the Jews. You remember they, they've accused Stephen of blaspheming against Moses and the law and all this. And so what Stephen's doing, he said, You think I am? Do you not remember what our people did? Your people? What they did? Their unbelief? Their disobedience? Their idol worship? <laughs> you don't think they were blaspheming against the uh, God's plan, his tabernacle and, and everything? And so he's telling them about their disobedience and how they rejected Moses as their leader. Remember they've they accused Stephen of, of blaspheming against Moses. And they turned to false idols to worship. Now, it says that was in the church. Notice the Bible used the word church right there? It, it means a called out assembly, just like we mentioned Sunday. But as it's being used in this text, it's not the same context as what's considered as the church today, or the body of Christ. It just implies that it's a group of people that's been called out of Egypt and separated from the world by God. That's, that's what it is. And so it's not really referring to the New Testament church, but called out people by God verse 42 then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven as it is written in the book of the prophets oh you house of Israel have you offered to be slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of 40 years to wilderness? yea you took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god Repha uh, figures which you made to worship them and I will carry you away beyond Babylon now that is a, a terrifying thing to think of every time the bible says it it always bothers me when it says God gave them up. Uh, you know. When God gives something up. Friends it's, it's not going to be good. God turned and gave them up. It's terrifying. It's the last thing you ever want to happen. Is for God to give you up to something. And what he's done here. He's gave them up to the rivals. Okay. That's what you want. That's what you get. So while Moses is up on the mountain. And convening with God. And, and uh, for all that time. And receiving the ten commandments. And all the laws. The people down there uh, at the bottom are all mad. They don't think he's coming back. They go to Aaron, who's their priest, and they're they're telling him, we need a a real God. We need an idol to worship Now, we know the story of what happened. Aaron told them to go and break off their earrings and jewelry and everything so they can melt it down and make that uh, that idol, uh, that calf. And I have heard it said that perhaps he did that trying to dissuade them from from building an idol by saying, you know, give me up all your jewelry. Maybe he thought they wouldn't do it in turn room. I don't know because the Bible doesn't tell us uh, Well, However it was, Aaron went went along with it eventually. If he had not, a, he should have stood his ground, but he didn't. And so while Moses up there talking to God, all the people of Israel down here worshiping false idols saying, These are this is our God. This is the God that brought us out of Egypt. This this bull they created of out of stuff, and uh, so Stephen's reminding them, this is really how wicked uh, the children of Israel were and are. Mm-hmm. And so uh, to God, it says, uh, turned and, and gave and gave them up to worship the host of heaven. So, and it mentioned some of the things they were worshiping: Moloch and Molech, uh, and, and all those. All these gods, a lot of the gods back then were stars and the moon and um, animals, everything. They made gods out of everything. And so that's what they're worshiping. God says, all right, that's what you want to do. You go ahead and do it. And so God gave, uh, uh, he, he said enough as enough. We all know the outcome of the children of Israel. None of those original ones except uh, Caleb and Joshua actually got sued, Land. All the other ones died out there wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. It was what? At the most, a two-week trip. In 40 years, wandering around and around and around because of their disbelief. And so God said, no, nah, you're just going to stay out there and And eventually they all died off except those two. And so all the children got to go over into the promised land. Uh, so God gave up all the ones because of their disobedience, their lack of faith in him, and their lack of faith in Moses, who he chose. To be their leader, and so Stephen is is giving the San Peter and court a comparison of themselves to the children of Israel, how they rejected God and His prophet. Now they're doing the exact same thing. You guys haven't learned a thing. You're doing just like that. Verse forty four. Our fathers had the tabernacle tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, as He had appointed, speaking unto Moses that He should make it according to the fashion that He had seen. Don't forget, they've accused him of blaspheming against the temple. Well, the original temple was the tabernacle. That's after the tabernacle became the temple. But that was God's design. And so Stephen's saying God designed that tabernacle. And so he's not blaspheming against what God has done. However, the tabernacle was out there in the wilderness, but the temple, there's been two Mm -hmm. since then. Solomon's temple and uh, I can't think right right off my head right now, the other temple. But there's been two temples already in between the tabernacle. And so uh, Stephen's saying, you're accusing me of blaspheming against Moses and the temple? And so this is his defense. He's showing how the tabernacle in the wilderness was designed by God to be a witness. It was the visible witness of proof of God's presence with them. The evidence that he to whom it was devoted was their protector and guide. And so he's defending himself against the charge of blasphemy against the temple. Showing that he did not mean any disrespect to the temple. Verse forty-five, which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles, <coughs> whom God drave out before the face of our fathers under the days of David, who found favor before God and desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him an house. And so, don't let that uh, the name of Jesus uh, throw you off right there. It's the Greek rendering of the name Joshua. In this case, uh, the Bible uses that same uh, Jehovah is salvation, uh, Jesus in, in several variations in the Bible. The one is Jesus, which we know as the Son of God, uh, and then Joshua, the captain of the Israelites, the one who took over after Moses his successor. And it comes from the Hebrew word uh, Yehoshua, Yehoshua. And so it is rendered in Greek and then translated into English, it comes out as Jesus. So uh, it's not a, a mistake in your Bible. Some people claim there's a mistake in the Bible because of what Jesus did, there was a lot of people called Jesus, uh, not just uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, there's others too. Jesus, surname Justice, the Bible talks about. And uh, Joseph, son of Elizabeth, his, his name is the same. He opened up. Yosei. Yosei. Same word we used to. But the important thing to remember here is the name Jesus was very common in Hebrew, and he's referring to Joshua in this text right here. It says, Unto the days of David, who found favor before God and desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob, but Solomon built him an house. And so he concludes the history of the Jewish people by ending with the temple that Solomon built. Because David was not allowed to build it, we all know that David was a bloody man. The Lord said He would not allow him to build it. He desired to, he wanted to, but Solomon uh, ended up. God gave him the plans. He built the temple. That temple was destroyed, as we know, and then it was rebuilt again. Not not quite the same, not as uh, uh, lofty as Solomon's, but it was rebuilt again, and then. Uh, it's going to be torn down in A.D. 70. So as Stephen's telling them about the temple, the very temple that, that they're accusing him of blaspheming against is going to be crumbled in just a few years after this. So in A.D. 70, that's exactly what happens. And so we're going to, we're going to stop right there and call it. Next things are going to get really ugly. This was all they could take. They can't stand it any longer. They start grinding their teeth and they're turning them into to wild animals now. And we all know what's going to happen, but look we'll at it closer next time. Alright. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the message tonight. I pray it's been helpful. God, thank you for giving us all the truths in your word. Lord, help us as we study and learn. And Lord, try our best to understand everything. God, thank you for these that's here tonight. Those that may be watching online right now or even later. God, we thank you for the ability to be able to broadcast <coughs> And hey God, we're just uh, praying that you keep us safe on our way home tonight. The Lord, bring us back here at our next point in time. For these things we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. For all hearts and minds are tonight.